Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered your body is, and how much stress and exertion you put on your body throughout the day. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, and heart rate variability that can be used as an indicator for how to approach your day. The app has built-in features like Strain Coach, which gives you target exertion goals to work out optimally at your body's recovery level. Whoop automatically detects and categorizes your activity so there's no need to start and stop your workout. You can analyze your heart rate throughout the entirety of your workout and also track your calories burned, max heart rate, and average heart rate. It's the perfect way to train. The app also has a built-in sleep coach, which lets you know how much sleep you should be getting based on your expected activity level for the following day. So you can wake up and be recovered based on your performance goals. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code VELONEWS at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter VELONEWS at the checkout to save 15%. Sleep better recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop today. The role of the director in a race is unquestionably important. But what is required from those in the car? We sat down with established former pro turned director Steve DeYonga to get a measure of how the racing has changed, how to get a team of capable riders to work together, and the tone to take when calling the shots. This week on Put Your Socks On. Hello and welcome to another episode of Put Your Socks On. My name is Angus Morton and I am back in the broadcast chair after taking a week off last week. As per regular programming, I am joined by Bobby J. G'day, mate. How are you doing? I'm good. It's great to have you back. You know, last week with Christian Vandevelde, you know, coming in as our first ever guest co-host was um, a bit different. You know, it was like I was dancing with a new girlfriend or something. It was <laughs> it was it was crazy. But uh, yeah, man, we haven't caught up since you got came back onto the grid. Tell me and our listeners what you've been doing these past couple weeks. Right. Well, I do have to say thank you to Christian for jumping in there. Uh, I hope the fans don't decide that uh, you know maybe he's a better man for the job and out me. But uh, no, he's he's a, he's a good man for for jumping in, and that was a fantastic episode last week. What have I been up to? I have been out in the desert, the southern Utah sandy desert, uh, the Needles, Canyonlands, Bears Ears uh, regions. I'm doing a project with yeah, a project with my with my production company thereabouts. We're putting together a book uh, and a few other little bits and pieces, uh, examining how we as recreationists, as cyclists, as athletes, use the land and how we should use the land uh, and what we can do to help preserve the land. So that is uh, a project that will be coming out in the next few months, a multimedia project. Um, But that meant that, you know, brass tacks of it, uh, there was a lot of walking, pushing very heavy bikes, uh, carrying a lot of water. I was carrying uh, two gallons of water on my front forks, uh, another couple of liters 
in my frame. Uh, and then we had, uh, you know, a couple of days worth of food on the bikes. Um, and, and, you know, and that was just to get us to the resupply. And we had a few moments that were a bit touch and go there where the car, you know, we're having a resupply point because we were essentially, you know, COVID restrictions and, and all that. We weren't coming into contact with any humans. And, and we were out basically in the sand. Uh, for for six days um so yeah we had car a car come and meet us with water um we couldn't find it we lost one of our one of our members on our group we had to wait so (laughs) you know as these things go they never go to plan so it was a real adventure yeah um but i'm very glad to be out of the sun uh there's not a lot of shade in the desert and uh not a lot of water so it's good to be back indoors and uh cooling off well we're we're glad to have you back that's for sure we have a little bit of cycling-related news from this past week, don't we? We do, we do. Uh, first up, let's talk the virtual Joe Martin stage race, a fixture on the US calendar. This year, obvious reasons, uh, couldn't be run in its early season time slot, so they've been running it on Zwift over uh, the last little bit. How did how to play out? Yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch live or find the results at all, and I kind of looked everywhere, yeah. uh, but I heard the women's race was spectacular. I saw the watts that those women were pushing up that final climb in the stage one individual time trial, which was um, on the Bologna circuit on Zwift, and mm-hmm. they, they were pounding out 5.8 to 6 watts per kilo up that final climb, and I don't know if you've done that. I, I tried it once or twice, and I was like, man, that was a hard time trial because they mirrored it off of the Bologna time trial of the world a couple of years ago when Rohan Dennis won. So yeah, pretty, pretty interesting racing. I just wish that I would have been able to have the time over the weekend to watch it. I, I must admit too, searching for results for some of those virtual races uh, over the last couple of months has been weirdly difficult. I did though read Chloe Digart's interview um, that she did post-race and she was I mean, she said that she was pushing, uh, you know, numbers not too far off her world's performance last year, and she she finished, you know, down the leaderboard. So she was really impressed. And um, I mean, one one thing I found interesting too was it's kind of like it's a mass start time trial, but they have the drafting format turned off, and you're on time trial bikes. So I'm I'm I I would be interested to watch and and kind of get a more of an understanding, you know, knowing that you've got your virtual opponent there, right? Even though you can't draft off them, you can you can see them there. So anyway, uh, interesting format, and uh, and I guess you know the virtual racing is is slowly winding down for this COVID season, at least if things are to continue uh, going to plan. So you know. Be a few more of these, but fortunately, we'll be able to see uh, everybody back on the road soon enough. Some already on the road now. Yeah, and w- we talked about this last week. Uh, big news! You you were there. I, I I need all the details. Your brother Lachlan decides after basically having his record annulled last week, decides to jump on and do it again. He now has lowered. Keegan Swenson's time, which was seven hours, 40 minutes, and five seconds, down to seven hours, 29 minutes, 57 seconds. Gus, you were there. You got to tell us the inside scoop of both attempts. Right. Well, so the last I heard of Lachlan even considering the Everest attempt, um, he was going to do it, uh, I think, Wednesday, two weeks ago. But he got sick. He got sick on the day. 
and 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 couldn't do it. So I sort of left him. I think on the on the on the Tuesday I left to head out to the desert off the grid. He was food poisoning. I just assumed that he didn't do it. Um, I return into radio range uh, on on just the Thursday gone, and it's like my inbox is blowing up. You know, my dad's blowing me up. Like Lockie got the record, and then and then it's like no, we got to take it off him. And there was obviously all this kerfuffle. So I kind of quickly caught up to speed um, at least a little bit to kind of find out what on earth had happened. Um, obviously, that record was was taken off him. Um, I really do have to stress absolutely through no fault of his own. Um, you know, he verified it uh, on the front end. It was it was verified post-race. Um, someone uh, nitpickingly um, went through through the, the, the data and thankfully too, by the way, um, went through the data and found it to come up short, which I think is really important because you know, it highlights um, the, 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 there is these records are, aren't infallible and hopefully this will be a step towards making them, you know, a little more fallible, uh, infallible, excuse me. Um, and anyway, uh, long story short, I got home Thursday night. Lockie was like, man, I'm going to have to do it again. He was still sore from the effort that he did uh, on, on, on the, the, the first effort on the Saturday. Uh, and then he's just like, well... I guess I guess I just got to get it out of the way. He's like, you know, I have to go for it again now, and uh, we'll just do it Saturday. And so, you know, that was Thursday night. He hadn't really thought too much more about it than that. And so, yeah, on Friday he went out and bought some Snickers bars. He um, filled up his biddens. I, you know, I got the cooler out. We loaded up the cooler. We got up at three o'clock on uh, on Saturday morning with with my old man or our, our dad, and uh, we drove out there. And uh, and he just he just did it. He just you know pumped up his own tires. Put his bike together. Didn't have any spares. Didn't have any <laughs> anything more than the skin suit on. It was about 40, 38, 40 degrees outside, and he's just like, you know, okay. And dude, he just went and did it. It was, um, it's brutal to stand on the sideline and watch that. It's brutal. Um, but to to do it, it it's got to be a rude effort. And he said it was rude. He said no more. So, yeah, he 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 went and did it second time in a week. He did an extra lap for good measure. So I think he uh, actually did over nine thousand meters climbing. And uh, yeah, I guess, you know, he can put that chapter to bed, but really impressive performance. And to speak a little bit on the Everesting Challenge, I know we have and, and I know I've expressed how my, my sentiments towards, um, towards the event have changed. Um, but on the weekend, going out there and witnessing it and, and I think too, just seeing someone of, of you know, Lachlan, I, I mean, obviously I know Lachlan, um, but the way that, you know, a lot of people perceive professional athletes is on this you know, on this, on another level, they've got all of these resources, all of this sort of stuff. But you know, it wouldn't have mattered if Lachlan was World Tour or not uh, yesterday. You know, uh, or the day before. Sorry, he, you know, like I said, filled his own bottom bottles, like pumped his own tires, got his own bike ready, all that sort of stuff, and and just went out and did it, and did it because it was a challenge that he wanted to put himself through. You know, Lockie's a, a a pretty humble bloke, and and just loves to ride his bike and sort of see where he can take himself and so that was really nice you know i think i think this record's become quite blown out of proportion um and him going and taking it in the way that he did and for the reasons that he did i think he's a really nice reminder that you know at its purest that's what sport is it's 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 about a challenge against yourself um and being part of of a community of people uh that want nothing more than just to share in that that experience right um and so i think that was a really nice Nice, nice way to uh, cap off what's been a pretty interesting um, lockdown period for him. 
Yeah, many people are taking on the Everstein challenge, but I'm sorry, your brother starting to make it look easy. Like, yeah, I'll just wake up every Saturday and go for it again. But uh, yeah, him him doing it in this way, I think that's going to be pretty pretty tough to beat. But th- and then again, we've been saying that for a few months now. Exactly. And uh, speaking of people, well, speaking of beating the Everesting record, there's probably, you know, very few people who could do that. But Chris Froome is definitely one of those. And uh, and he's been in the news a little bit recently um, about his transfer, the rumors, uh, et cetera, around, around that. But he has uh, told a teammate that he's going to stay with Ineos through the Tour de France. Yeah, there's been a lot of speculation. I've actually been trying to get a hold of him to... Uh confirm or deny but i haven't been successful um last week i told when when christian was on i said that i actually had a dream of watching bike (laughs) racing and i didn't say it at the time but now i feel it's a little bit appropriate i actually the dream that i had was chris in the yellow jersey in this year's tour de france so i don't know if it was just the first day and he loses it or if it's the last day but that that dream that I had was of Chris in the yellow jersey. So I, I can't wait until we we see this through because he's obviously on a great team, obviously has amazing teammates in competition. But um, I don't think there's many people that aren't pulling for him after his amazing comeback story. Absolutely not. And that would be a, a fairy tale uh, end to what has been a pretty tumultuous year for him. Speaking, though, of bizarre events and you know this could have been a dream to be honest when i returned from <laughs> from the desert mitchelton scott and the very little known manuela fundacion situation man what on earth is going on here this is the biz- this is bizarre with a capital b i i really don't understand how something like this could happen and what's going to come out of it it seems like both parties feel that they signed a deal to have control over the team. I don't know if that was a language barrier or a typo in a contract or, or what, but I don't even think they know what's going on at the moment. I just hope that you know the team continues as it is or as it was, and that this doesn't get you know locked down in in a court process somewhere. You know, we need those guys on their bikes. You know, fantastic team, fantastic organization. And let's just hope that that is not going to be uh, an issue moving forward. Right. It's, I mean, yeah, I was going to say like, and this isn't chump change that we're talking about. Like this is, you know, tens of millions of dollars being, you know, the the Orica Green Edge, you know, Mitchelton Scott organization, right? Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. So you would have thought maybe there was um, perhaps a little more communication going on between within Mitchelton Scott, between them and the Manuela Foundation. Anyway, I guess we'll see this shake out over the next bit. But to your point, Bobby, let's hope that it doesn't impact their ability to race and their ability to put, you know, some of the very best bike riders in the world out on the road and in competition. And and I'd say bar none, the biggest news and biggest surprise to me, uh, to be honest, is that road racing after three some odd months has finally returned. We had the Slovenian National Championships over the weekend. I mean, it was, I, I didn't even know that it was happening. I heard it was very, very hard to get the feed to watch it. But just that there was a bike race again, man, I mean, that's that's huge. The uh, Slovenian National Championships. So it wasn't just a, you know, annual bike race. It was, you know, 
the Slovenian National Championships, which they are a powerhouse in cycling right now. It was Rogelik uh, winning that over Pogacar. Um, so, you know, two absolute all, all-time stars of cycling right now getting to race. Uh, I believe Pogacar had a, had a wee crash but was able to rejoin and finish second. Ursa Pintar from the Ale BTC Lubihuana team. I'm probably butchering that name. Won the women's race. And yeah, there was crowds. You know, Slovenia are claiming they've been COVID-free for a month, uh, which is interesting. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there was, uh, yeah, there were there were some fans on the side of the road. So, you know, hopefully they legitimately are COVID-free and the racing, you know, d- didn't put anyone at risk. Um, but it was nice to see some photographs and some footage of, of actual bike racing taking place again. And, you know, hopefully it's a step towards some, some normalcy and, and, and in a safe way. Yeah, they were the only country that kept these original dates. So like on the old calendar, national championships, they'd be normally leaving to go to the Tour de France in three days. And now they're not right. going to the Tour de France for a couple of months still. So, but great to see the live racing back, especially at that national championship level. And, and like you said, uh, with Slovenia having two of the best riders in the world right now, I don't think that result, that one-two result by Rolik and Pogacar was, was a surprise. Absolutely not. On a slightly darker note, Jim Cummins, the founder and director of The Dirty Cancer, um, which is now a lifetime event. He sold that event recently. He's been fired after making uh, offensive comments uh, regarding the death of a uh, the, the death in police custody of a, a black man um, just uh, Friday, uh, so, so a little more than a week ago. That's, you know, uh, very sad, but it is nice to see that brands... Um, and and sponsors of that event and and then also Lifetime themselves have stood up and and listened to to you know the people and are, and, are, and are putting you know racial justice and, and equality and, and and just basic bigotry and, and racism uh, and and they're they're taking a stand on it which which is good to see there have been calls to change the name of that race um, there is quite a complex history with with the term Dirty Kanza and the and the uh, Native American people of that region. So I think that is playing out now. We may see a, a name change there. And to be honest, I hope that we do. But, you know, I think cycling as all sports being used as a bit of a, for a lot of people, look to for direction when it comes to to how to handle and how to speak out about, about you know, issues like racial equality and racial justice. Um, so it is good to see that the industry is backing up some of the uh, the athletes and, and people like that that are taking a stand towards this thing. And, and, you know, hopefully it leads to a more positive, equal uh, and inclusive sport. A little bit of, uh, you know, kind of controversial news there, but I, I, I definitely feel it's in, in the interests of, uh, of, of society and the betterment after all. Yeah, absolutely. The words of Reggie Miller uh, just ring through my ears. Two ears one mouth, listen and learn. And that's all we can hope to do moving forward. But um, on a more positive note, I need to give, I want to give a big shout out to Tom Squinch from Trek Segrafredo. Nothing to do with cycling, uh, cycling results. He wasn't racing, but he fulfilled his cycling act of kindness by picking up trash along the roadside in Girona, Spain over the weekend. This was class and i encourage everyone to do something similar after seeing the, his post on social media i was riding outside and 
I was on my bike and there was some trash on the side of the road. I didn't have a big garbage bag or anything like that, but I, I did pick up some trash. So thank you, Tom Screens, for providing, setting a good example, number one. And let's see how far we can take this to our listeners. You know, make that little effort to clean up your roadside because uh, it does make a difference. Exactly right. I think uh, more cycling acts of kindness. Uh, it doesn't take much time. As far as the cycling act of kindness is concerned, I want to bring to everyone's attention that there's a lot more people on bikes now after this pandemic. And a lot of these people don't have the experience that lifetime cyclists have. So take these people under your wing, you know, help them if they need some help on the side of the road, flat tire, broken spoke, you know, chain issue. Encourage these people to stay in the sport because often cyclists are quite uh, arrogant when it comes to dealing with people that don't have the same skill set as themselves. So play it forward a little bit. Be be kind. Offer some some help, some assistance, some some tips to to keep these people on on bikes uh, even longer and enjoying the sport that we love so much even more. Our guest today raced for a professional team from 1995 until 2009. Powerhouse teams like TVM, Rabobank, and Quickstep. Suddenly, he made a transition over to the sport director's car in 2010 with Team Sky. He directed some of the best teams and best riders over the years and joined Team Trek Segrefredo as director and trainer in 2017. As a rider, Steven was known as a classics hard man, often showing up on the start line with minimal clothing when the rest of us were freezing. As a director, he is known for his calm and cool demeanor in the car, as well as being able to still train at the pro level. Welcome to Put Your Socks On, Steven DeYonga. Man, we came into this sport around the same time, and back then, not many people spoke English. Our paths didn't cross too often, but when they did, I always appreciated you speaking English to me on the start line. And yeah, a lot has changed, you know, now that English is basically the official language of the Peloton. Well, I think it's one of the benefits uh, growing up in Holland, where you have to study like all the foreign languages, because nobody speaks Dutch. So uh, when I went to school, uh, we had to learn German, English, the French language. And then when I was a rider, yeah, I picked up a lot of Italian and, and Spanish. So, uh, yeah, but I prefer to speak in English, though. Yeah. Hey, just to all the people that know, um, you have a little bit of seal in you or something like that. Do you even own a pair of arm warmers or gloves yet? Or is that still just a non-issue for you? I have it, but it's all still packed in plastic. So, uh I give it to gifts like riders who are freezing. So, uh, yeah. No, my, my rain bag back in the days was like a spare bag for the other riders. So, yeah. And then once, then once I needed a rain jacket because the race, the race was canceled and we had to sit in the car. So I said, okay, then give him my rain jacket. And then it was not there anymore, of course. So somebody else nicked it already. Yeah. Listen, is that like, was that um, for you at the time, like an intimidation tactic or were you just legitimately, you just, you just don't get cold? No, the, the days I've been cold on the bike, I, I think the one I remember really well is in, in uh, Tour of Austria when I was amateur. We did a race, uh, we had finished up to Gross Glockner, no, 
they told us when it's snowing, you will be finishing up Grossglockner. So four kilometers underneath the top, it was already snowing. So I said, okay, it's snowing. So we have to finish on top. And then we came to the top and there the Swangers were standing with newspapers. And I said, oh, it's not finishing at the top. So then I had no clothing, nothing. I had to do the descent and then, then I was cold. Then I was really cold. But no, that was one of the coldest days I can remember. But uh, all the rest, I was okay. Yeah, but it was not intimidation. I cannot stand a lot of heat. So, uh, yeah. Fair enough. Listen, like you were a pro for nearly 20 years um, and then you've been, you know, on the other side of, of the fence for nearly 10. I'm interested to know, you know, you've been close to the sport this entire time. What are the biggest changes that you've witnessed um, just in the sport in general? I think the materials, the the bikes got a lot faster. Um, the, the group sets, uh, you know, with electronic shifting, wireless shifting, disc brakes, yeah, it improved so much. Uh, tires, they improved a lot. Clothing, of course, improved a lot. So I think nowadays, if you're getting cold, it's not about, you know, you just have bad clothing, I think. No, but the, the bikes got a, really a lot of faster. So a lot of free watts there, for sure, compared to the old days. Yeah. Has the uh, racing changed at all? Yeah, the racing also changed. I think the fighting to be in a breakaway in the early days was a lot easier. Uh, now sometimes you can see like three, four, yeah, the first three, four hours fighting for getting in the breakaway. Crazy. And then, yeah, no break is going actually. And in the early days, I remember, especially in the beginning of the season, that, okay, if you wanted to go on the breakaway, you just went kilometer zero and you were in most of the times. But yeah, that, that really changed. Yeah, the sport has changed in a lot of ways. And especially now with the pandemic crisis that we're in, I can only imagine the meetings and logistical issues that all the teams have to deal with since this kicked off back in, in March. How are you and the management team over at Trek Segrafredo dealing with this current situation as, man, it's been a long couple months hasn't it yeah for sure so I, my last race was uh nice so that was kind of weird because then you know the whole thing was coming up and every day they were speaking now oh, tomorrow will be the last day no no no, they will finish there no 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 they will finish there now tonight macron will speak and he will tell you know there's a total lockdown but it's weird because then they're starting to get the public out of the road out of the parking out of the finish out of the start yeah, and it starts to be a, a, a little bit surreal. And then, yeah, then suddenly it was Saturday. The race was was done. Uh, we brought all the riders back by cars because we had another logistics to do that. We chose that because, yeah, flying was not the best option, in our opinion. Then we drove home. Yeah, now we're still here. And uh, two weeks ago, we had a big meeting for the new season. So when the calendar was uh, released, yeah, we started planning the riders, and when the riders were all planned in, yeah, we had to to look at a logistical nightmare because uh, it it really is. Sometimes there's four programs with with will two races in the same weekend, and that's logistically that's hard because nobody has uh, four buses or four trucks. So, uh, and so many uh, staff members as well, of course. But did you guys wait until? the UCI released a race calendar to start kind of these plans or was it like every two weeks you guys would have a meeting 
And then when the lockdown continued, you'd rip that up and start up a new one because it just seems to me that there was so much uncertainty. Yeah, there was a lot, of, a lot of uncertainty. So the first thing we did is to make sure that all the riders could train and, and had support for that because all our riders were also in different situations. We had riders who could train outside still, but solo. We had riders uh, in Monaco, in Spain and Italy, total lockdown and also in France. So those riders we had to supply with with, with the smart trainers, of course, from uh, from our sponsors. Yeah, and you were calling to them a little bit more than usual, try to keep them motivated. But yeah, yeah it, it's hard. And then, of course, when you know, like in countries like in Holland and Belgium, we could still ride outside. Yeah, there was a lot of different things to offer to different riders, yeah. And, and what did you, you know, we've seen some teams have... Um you know, been having Zwift races, you know, individual riders been participating in a lot of Zwift racing and, and, and virtual stuff. How have you, has there been a strategy to keep one, riders motivated and fit um, and then two, their mental health, like keep their heads kind of screwed on so that they don't kind of lose all focus? We try to keep them uh, busy with, with a certain amount of weeks and then give them a really rest week because uh, especially for those guys who had to train indoor all the time, it was hard. And some of them could do, could deal easily with or easier with the situation than others. So yeah, most of the time we did like a two week block and then a rest and then a three week block and then a rest. And when we could see like the lockdown was going away, uh, yeah, we could also motivate them a little bit easier. As I mentioned uh, during the introduction, you're, in my eyes, one of the most composed, especially when it's hitting the fan in the middle of the races, directors that I've ever come across. I mean, you're as cool as a Colorado stream. Explain to us and our listeners your management style and where you think that calmness under pressure comes from. Yeah, I think, well, I experienced a lot of uh, things in my when I was young. I lost my father on a young age uh, with an accident. I lost my best friend with a tumor. Another family member died on uh, leukemia. And that was all in a period of two years. Yeah, then I was growing up, yeah, real quickly, to say so. And after that, I always experienced when I was speaking to, yeah, same age riders, that I was feeling a little bit more grown up. And when I was in races, I was surprised sometimes by the by the sport directors, how nervous they were. And it's not helping us. It's not helping them, but it's not helping us as well. If if the riders want to know something or the sport director wants the riders to do something and he starts screaming in their ears or he's getting nervous that they miss something and he starts screaming in their ears, it, it won't help them. I think you can, uh, <laughs> you can say the same, that it's not going to help them. So I think if there's a crash, you know, most of the time the riders will tell that they are in or a teammate will tell that their leader is in. And yeah, if there's a crash and they say, oh, a big crash, I always ask really calmly, hey, guys, are we okay? And nine out of 10 times you will hear, yeah, yeah, we are fine. We're in the front, no problems. So, and if there's a crash and you ask them really calm, then they nine out of 10 times they would also say, yeah, 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 Richie is in, but uh, he needs a new bike. So you straight away know, you know, the situation. And that's also good for the mechanic because he's in the car, so he knows what's to bring. But 
Yeah, I think I learned it and I hate it when people get nervous and start to shout, especially I think for the riders, it's not helpful at all. So yeah, better stay calm. It's not easy, but I think you have to think twice before you say something in situations like this. I know it's hard for some people, but uh, yeah, I don't drink coffee during the race because uh, I'm nervous, but I think people don't see it too much that I'm nervous. And to expand on that a little bit, right, you obviously raced for a very long time uh, and then now you've been in the director's chair and and racing has changed. Um, I'm I'm intrigued to know how you sort of, you know, have, not being in the peloton, how you kind of are able to keep up to date with the way that the racing is and empathize with the riders so that you can, you know, stay calm, you can give the right instruction. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm intrigued to, to hear that. Well, I always try to to convince riders that in in a certain way they they feel how the race is going. They feel it much more than we feel it in the car. So we we go out with a plan and we try to to stick to the plan as much as possible. But if they feel an opportunity before, I always encourage it to do it because uh, nine out of ten times they feel the race much better how it's involving than in the car. And sometimes you have to convince the riders to stick to the plan, for example. And yeah, say some things in the in the radio to, to stimulate them even more to, to do certain things. I think a good example last year was um, GP van Petergen, where Edward Turns won. Well, all the big teams were riding for, uh, for a bunch sprint. Uh, Bora for uh, Ackerman, Quickstep for their sprinter, and Swan. And, and there was a strong breakaway group. And we were helping those riders, but we had the plan to to attack full gas with uh, Mats Pedersen, Stuyven, and, and Turns. And in the end, they said, no, we, we have to keep the gap the same. And then, you know, we close it. And I said, yeah, but then it will be too late. I said, guys, we really have to close it now. Tell the other guys from Quickstep and Bora that the, the, the breakaway group has a huge advantage of the motorbikes. And we have to close it with, with eight, nine kilometers to go. So in the end, I think they closed it with 16 minutes to go. And then Jasper went and he he took a good moment. And then uh, a little bit closer to the final, Edward Jones, he uh, he went very fast through the corner first to block the other rider who were chasing. But Mats Peterson was in his wheel and he left the gap. So Matt saw an opportunity for, for Edward to go across. And then we could say, okay, you know, Edward is coming up to Jasper. Jasper gave it his all and Edward, he just stayed ahead. And I think that is great teamwork from, from their side, but also from our side, from the car. And, and talking about planning your work and working your plan, 2019 was not packed with the big wins at the start of the year. But then towards the end of the year, you guys were winning everything. And it definitely seemed to carry over into the start of 2020 until this pandemic hit us. Was there anything specific that you can put your finger on that flipped the script there? Because it was from one month to another, it was like a totally different team. And do you think that you'll be able to regain that momentum that you guys had right away once the racing starts again? Well, we hope we can keep the momentum. We, we worked all winter to, to keep that momentum. And uh, there's something we're still working, you know, now. Last year, the Classics team, Jasper and Mats, they were not in their best shape. 
and mentally also they they were struggling with Jasper and uh, Mats Pedersen. There was not the right chemistry in between them. So there was some tension, you know, and sometimes when you have a win, the chemistry will grow and grow, you know, and then it will be better. But last year that was not, not coming. And uh, actually towards the end of the year where they learned from the mistakes in, in the... In, in the early part, yeah, they really went for each other and they really worked together and yeah, they were not scared to lose anymore. They just went for it. And I think that was mentally, that was a big, big step for, especially for Jasper, I think. And the way he was riding in uh, at Newsblood, that was, yeah, a proof that he was, yeah, especially mentally, he was on another level. On that, right, and in, in carrying that, that change of mentality and, and kind of building that team, the camaraderie, the start of the calendar, you know, is coming closer every day. How are you guys getting the athletes ready um, for the season, you know, given quarantining, et cetera, et cetera, and also just this really extended time apart? The first riders will go to Lavinio now on, on altitude training. Then we have a camp for the riders who are going mainly to Tour de France. They will go to Isola. And the riders who will go to the Italian program, they will go to San Pellegrino. So these groups will really be together. And then for the Tour de France, we, we opt for one extra classic rider in the team just to give them a really good preparation also for an end enough competition for, for the classic season, what comes, yeah, literally just after the, the Tour de France, of course. How are we going to approach uh, the season? And then the riders who are going to Tour de France, they will race mainly together in races in France as well. Yeah, And because those races are hard, the classics guys, they will, they will start off in Burgos and go to Poland, and then they will come to, down to Nice. Yeah. With, with current world champion Mads Peterson, Richie Port, Vincenzo Nibali, Boca Molema, Ciccone, Jesper Stoyven, Tom Squinge, and our boy from the USA, Quinn Simmons, among, any, among many other great riders. You guys are stacked with future and current talent. Then you guys go out and recently sign an experienced veteran like Peter Vinning. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about this signing and where you plan on using a rider with his talents and experience um, after he was, he's been racing at that pro continental level for the past few seasons. I thought that signing was was quite interesting because I really admire Peter's talents as a rider. But it was just pretty impressive to see that Trek during this whole thing was actually signing riders when other teams are maybe cutting back a little bit. Yeah. Now the contact with Peter was there already in the winter time because when we yeah when we're doing the program for the whole year, we could see that we had a lot, a lot of young riders. And yeah, we were missing climbers for, for Giro, actually. If you want to go good in Giro, we needed to have an, an experienced guy who could pull in the mountains because yeah, they're not going to ride all the time. They're going to ride Giro 2, Giro 2, and they are good. You know this. So... We want to be like, okay, we are looking for this experienced rider who can pull, um, who's still available. Yeah, all the youngsters are signed, of course. All the youngsters, you also have to give a two-year contract. And Peter was still available. And then um, in 
besets. We had our sprinter Moschetti, the young guy, uh, with a terrible crash, and he he broke some some bones in 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 his hip. And then, yeah, we were one rider even more down. And then, yeah, we wanted to sign Peter, but there was a little bit of ongoing discussion with with UCI uh, because you you cannot sign riders before June. So it was kind of on hold, ongoing, on hold. But then, yeah, the, the pandemic broke out. So and then we got a new calendar and there you had even more uh, need of experienced riders because the world tour is so packed with races that, yeah, you cannot send all the youngsters to, to one race to another. And, okay, the UCI said you can use the shares in other races, but the stagiaires we need is some weekends where there's too many World Tour races, but we cannot use them there. So that was another thing where we really needed uh, Peter for, for the Giro. So moving to the, the, the racing this year, do you think Richie or Bauka can challenge for the win at the Tour uh, or in the, grand, in the Grand Tours and then with the Classics, Stoyven target some of those? What, what are the team goals this year and do you think you're able to get to, to achieve those? Well, we really hope to perform uh, with Richie and Bauk in, in the Tour de France. And yeah, I, I already said it before, we we will take uh, Jasper, Mats uh, and Edward Turns to the Tour for sure because we, they, we want to have them good in the, in the Classics. And I think the way they were racing last year, the end of the year, the start of this year, I think this group, yeah, Will, will show themselves again also now in the classic period again. Yeah. Yeah, you, you guys are definitely creating uh, quite a strong nucleus there. And Richie Port is one of my favorite riders out there. So I hope he gets one last crack at uh, the GC in the tour. But so recently, Trek has released a new bike, the Monda SLR that you've been testing. Uh, you've also recently did the longest day challenge where you rode over 460 kilometers in just over 13 hours, which is, I mean, no surprise that I know you, but it's still pretty ridiculous. So tell us a little bit about this new Trek bike, but tell us a lot about your adventure during that 460 kilometers that you did. Yeah, well, Trek always has a, like a procedure where they get the team involved to test their, their new bikes and new products. And uh, yeah, I was one of the lucky ones to ride also the new Amanda. And yeah, I can say it's it's a much more of an aero climbing bike. It's much more lighter also than the other one. And uh, yeah, I, I really like it because especially accelerating after corners, you can feel it's 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 light. You can also feel it's faster on the flat where the older Monda. You could really feel a difference with the uh, Madone, our aero bike, but this one comes close to the Madone. I think that's yeah. I think a lot of riders will choose for for a Monda in uh, in the States races now. Yeah, and then yeah, the the 460 kilometers on the longest day that was that was also an outcome of the Corona pandemic because we had this event planned with a group of of friends who do this every year. So I was invited this year to do it as well with them. But then when the pandemic started, yeah, we couldn't do this anymore because we had to ride solo or small groups. So we all had to look out for a challenge for ourselves and, and build a parkour ourselves. So then I thought, okay, I'm going to start here in my house and then I'm going to visit all the places where I won in East Flanders and West Flanders. And then I ride back to my house because 
I won two races close to mine. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go out by Merksam and then I will go to the Pana where I won uh, two times the the morning states. And then I will come back by Putte Capella where I also won. So I visited 12 cities that day. The guys were always helping out with bidons. They were along the road or they set up breakfast in their house to to fuel me. And uh, at the last stop, my wife was there with pancakes. And then I still had 90 kilometers to go with Tailwind. And when I came home, I was yeah really satisfied. I was happy to be home, but yeah, not totally wasted, to put it like this. Yeah. I followed your adventure on, on social media, on Instagram. And I was able to dig up via Tom Squeenge's post that you averaged 35 kilometers an hour, which I don't know if you, if you know how to ride slower than that. Every time I ride with you right out of the parking lot, it's above 35 kilometers an hour, 460 kilometers over 11,000 kilojoules, 13 hours, nine minutes and 40 seconds, normalized power of 259 Watts, with a TSS of 681. Yeah. I mean, Stephen, there, there's there's things to do during... Actually, the- I wanted to stop with a TSS of 666. I thought that was a good number. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. No, but, but it was really nice. But I... So, actually, for months, it's really weird. But since the lockdown came in here, it's been beautiful weather in, in Belgium. Almost no rain, nothing. But always winds from the northeast. So if I go out to the Pana, I would have had tailwind all the way and then all the way backwind, uh, headwind home. So already a few weeks ago, I arranged some guy with a, with a derny to ride like 100 kilometers from the Pana to Zelsade. Yeah, 90 kilometers. And then the last 90 I would do on my own again. But uh, on Friday, it was headwind out and the, 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 the tailwind I had behind the, the derny. So uh, yeah, but it was still very welcome. Yeah. I started in the night, so I started uh, two minutes past 12 in the night, and then I had to ride in the dark for almost four hours 20, uh, so I was using a good good headlight, uh, good backlight. But along the Schelde, there's the water there, there was thousands of rabbits crossing the road, like these small rabbits. <laughs> so, I was oh. so, af- so I was so afraid to hit one, <laughs> you know, and do a stupid crash. So I was really focused the first hours. And yeah, then you can see, then you're looking to the, to the east and you can see the sun come up and it's just beautiful. And then the light comes up and yeah, okay, lights out and go, yeah. So tell me, you had a couple of years ago, just speaking of, of, of rides and riding, you had an accident where you your wife you know, put out via social media and you were yeah. found essentially through Strava. Uh, a very serious accident. I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to hear like, how does an event like that, does it affect the way you train or even think about the riders that, that, that are out training? Well, I've been more, more cautious since the accident. Uh, I'm using the Garmin with like the, how say the crest detection now. And, and I, I choose my, my routes very carefully. So if I can ride on a separate road or I can ride a, a route where there's, uh, less traffic involved, especially cars, I, I, would, I would opt for that route. I always ride with a backlight now, a flash, flashing backlight, um, also in day in daytime, because I think nowadays a lot of people are on mobiles, they're, they're watching the mobiles, and if they look up for a split second, maybe they see my light and they don't hit me. You know? It's like all those small things I can do, I, I will do, yeah. And yeah, the first months after the accident, I was too scared to go out also. I was doing a lot on Swift 
And then in, in January, I did my first uh, ride outside with, uh, with some other professionals here who live in the area. I said, okay, can I please join you guys? Because I'm a little bit afraid to go alone. And yeah, slowly by doing it again, you regain confidence. And yeah, now I feel more safe actually when, when it's dark, because I think then you have more attraction with your, with your lights. You're like a riding Christmas tree almost. So, but in, in daylight, when the, when the sun is coming up, um, yeah, it, it's hard also to be seen as a, as a cyclist. If, if the sun comes up and you ride towards the sun, I can imagine that, that, that car struggled to see you. So that's why I always yeah, choose to find the bike paths and uh, these roads. Yeah. I, I remember that day very well because I follow you on Strava and I saw like a one way, not, it wasn't quite a loop. It was just like, it just kind of stopped. It stopped. Yeah. And I, I just thought, oh, you know, maybe he stopped for lunch and then jumped in a car. And then all of a sudden it pops up on social media. Christian Vandeveld calls me on the phone because uh, you were in, in or around the Girona area, I believe, when the, yeah. when this happened. And the craziest thing was that Strava may have saved your life. Do you do you agree with that? Because yeah, yeah, no, no one I agree. no one knew yeah. where you were. No. You were you were unconscious in a ditch with not much uh, help around in that area. And then all of a sudden, your Strava uploads probably because it timed out. Luckily, you had it linked to your phone. I had it linked and, to my phone, but yeah, you you probably know the area. It's the area of uh, Laganga. But the singles there are a little bit up and down. Also, the GPS I had at that time. Sometimes I lost connection there. You know, sometimes I had connection. So then you were in this Strava segment going for it. And then uh, you just left the Strava segment. And then you lost signal, you know. So, But that day, it really saved my life. So it uploaded. So my wife, I told her where I was going, but not which way around. So... When she said she saw that, okay, it's there. So okay, then he must be in between here and our house, you know. And then a good friend of us who's living there, he said, yeah, but on that side you have no uh, telephone connection sometimes, so you have to look that side and this side. And yeah, by the time my wife put it on Twitter, and and the police were starting to realize that yeah, somebody serious has got you know uh, disappeared. Uh, then they really got involved and they put out all the equipment to, to try to find me. And I was in the helicopter and maybe 20 minutes later, it was pouring down, pouring down rain. I think my wife, she works at the ambulance. She knows really well what the timeline is of people getting, I would say that, on, on the cold or hypothermia. Yeah. And uh, yeah, when they found me, I had a body temperature of 34.5 degrees Celsius. And I was, yeah, already asleep to go in a, in a coma. So, uh, yeah, I, it took them a while. They started speaking to me, but it took me a while to, to respond. Yeah. You, you were definitely one of the guys that I first saw using, like, the Garmin headlamp. Because, A, you would get up at 6 in the morning and go out and ride two hours in the dark before you had to do your director sportif duties. And you think back to when we started racing, guys weren't wearing helmets. They were doing Paris-Roubaix without helmets. Now everybody's wearing a helmet. I have the Garmin Varia rear radar, which I never thought I would ever ride around with a little blinky taillight. And I also have the light 
that you gave me the idea of getting, which is the Garmin front headlight. And I always set that on like the mild strobe setting. So to the people out there, find a way to make yourself a little bit more visible to cars. Like Stephen mentioned, there's a lot of distracted drivers out there and uh, take those precautions and don't, don't feel bad if your friends give you a hard time about having little flashy, flashy lights on because it, it absolutely could save your life. Thank you for sharing that story with us, Stephen. I mean, that was definitely um, uh, an eye-opener for a lot of us, and I'm just super stoked to hear that you made that uh, a quick and full recovery from that. Yeah, yeah it took a while, but, you know, uh, I think I can be lucky in the place where I am now, and, yeah, it gave me also a lot because I enjoy some things a lot more than I did, than I did before, and now with the pandemic, uh, I'm home for four months now, and I told my wife, I said, I've never been home for four months, you know. So the pandemic gave a lot of uh, bad things, especially economic-wise, I think, for a lot of teams and companies, it's going to be hard. But the quality time I had with my family now was, like, just awesome, you know. That's, like, yeah, so much money worth, uh, uh, yeah, for me. So, yeah, that was really good. And last, last, last question here. Um, Trek is one of the few World Tour teams that have both men's women's teams across all disciplines um, and both are equally stacked with with talent you've currently got the uh, you've currently got the US National Road Champion in Ruth Winder you've got the Cyclocross legend Katie Compton uh, and of course Yolanda Neff um, just to name a few I'm intrigued to see, do you guys have like entire team camps where both men's, women's and, um, and, and all the disciplines are there together? Um, and do you feel that each of the teams from different disciplines kind of feed off each other's success? Yeah, we, we, we have team camps all together. So um, already for two years now, they, they had to get together in uh, Waterloo where the track officers are at the, uh, the end of October, beginning of November. And then the first camp in December, uh, almost all riders are there, uh, except for some of the U.S. riders and some of the Australian riders, because yeah, they they can prepare best for Tour down down back in Tasmania or Australia. And um, but we have we have camps together, yeah. And I think it's also um, I say it's good for the riders to see and sometimes they like the girls can sit on the, the men's group for a long ride and they get the speed in easily so uh, oh, it works well I must say do you pull you know you uh, are you as a director for the men's road team are you learning anything from mountain bike or from you know cyclocross just in terms well, of the, the, cycle, the, the cyclocross team is, is too far, far away from us to be honest uh, it's yeah it's run by, by Sven Nice I watched a lot of cyclocross but yeah uh, and also the mountain team mountain bike team is really separate team but uh, a few weeks ago I went on a recon with uh, Lucinda Brandt and Ella van Dijk and their sport director Ina Teutenberg uh, recon of Paris-Roubaix and I think this is an example where I can give a lot of advice to them who never did Paris Bay. So talking about tire pressure, how to hold the handlebar, uh, where to ride. Yeah, it was good. It was a good uh, recall. Well, we had Yolanda Neff on our podcast a, a few weeks ago, 
And I hope that we get to see her because she rides for obviously your mountain bike program as well as yeah. the road. I would love to see her in Paris-Roubaix and see what she could do because she is one strong woman. Yeah. I did a ride with her and I was impressed in her bike handling skills mixed with your expertise, I'm sure would be quite interesting to see what, what, what she could do there. Yeah, this year she was committed full to the mountain bike team because of the Olympics. So I don't think she will do uh, pre-Roubaix this year. But uh, yeah, she had a pretty hard accident as well. So I hope to see her back on the bike fit and winning races also, yeah. Steven, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate you joining us all the way from, from your home over in Europe. All the best once the season kicks off. Really excited to see how all the teams come out of this, but you guys were definitely one of those hot teams coming in and um, excited to, to see that morale and that momentum moving forward. Good. Thank you, guys. It was nice to talk to you and to see you, Bobby. You look good. Huh? <laughs> right, right. You know, I, I have you as a as an idol now. So I go on and I see what you did, and then I kind of motivates me and George and Christian to to go out and emulate. I actually named one of my rides after you the other day when you were out doing yeah. that longest day. I, <laughs> I I named my Strava ride trying to channel a little bit of Stephen De Jonga today. So yeah. I was riding by myself and just you know nothing too crazy. Just keep it steady, you know. <laughs> But there's no way I could be averaging 35 kilometers an hour, um, especially on these roads, but not for not for 460 kilometers, that's for sure. You can do it on a 70-kilometer ride, I'm sure of that. So <laughs> you XTT rider, you can pace yourself well. So, yeah, good. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks, mate. Take care. Thanks, Stephen. Take Thank care. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's it. That's all we have time for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks again to Steven de Jonga from Trek Segrafredo for joining us. You can find all our past episodes as well as a ton of other fantastic cycling journalism over at velonews.com. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or whatever your favorite go-to podcast site may be. Just search for Put Your Socks On or Fizzo P-Y-S-O. Please continue to show your support by subscribing to this program and please spread the word by telling your friends about us. This episode was produced by Bobby J, myself, and edited and post-produced by Ed Rogers. You can get in contact with us on social media. Fizzopod on Twitter, P-Y-S-O-P-O-D, at that is Gus or at Bobby.Julik on Instagram. So, yeah, hit us up with uh, show suggestions, interview guests, uh, etc. Any feedback? Uh, if that's, you know, that's all we got for today's show, Bobby, it's great to be back in the chair and sitting uh, virtually across the table from you. Until next week. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Stay safe, stay sane, and don't forget to put your socks on. Nice. Cutting in three, two, one. Whoop.
Sleep is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered your body is, and how much stress and exertion you put on your body throughout the day. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, and heart rate variability that can be used as an indicator for how to approach your day. The app has built-in features like Strain Coach, which gives you target exertion goals to work out optimally at your body's recovery level. Whoop automatically detects and categorizes your activity so there's no need to start and stop your workout. You can analyze your heart rate throughout the entirety of your workout and also track your calories burned, max heart rate, and average heart rate. It's the perfect way to train. The app also has a built-in sleep coach, which lets you know how much sleep you should be getting based on your expected activity level for the following day. So you can wake up and be recovered based on your performance goals. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code VELONEWS at checkout. Go to whoop.com and enter VELONEWS at the checkout to save 15%. Sleep better recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop today.